Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo, and today it's just uh, it's just it's just the old crew here, I, and I don't mean that as like a dig, Pete. Sorry, uh, it's just the, no, no. The, the original crew. <laughs> we are both old. That's okay. <laughs> We're very original. <laughs> just you know, crack open a crack open a rock. You'll you'll find me inside. Um, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so it's me and Pete, uh, and today, Pete, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Stations of the Tide by Michael Swanwick. Uh, I did not know that this had been a 1991 Nebula Award winner, and um, we we can probably get into that, but I think that part of the reason I can be totally on board with that is simply the writing style is... It's very good. <laughs> it's yeah. very, very good. Well, and it's funny when I try and reach around for a comparison between this work and other things I've read, like the closest thing to hand is Gene Wolf. Yep. Well, and 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 just to be clear, folks, um, uh, before anyone over there, uh, or, or perhaps you've already thought it, but this is not actually a boss baby problem. This is actually... <laughs> This is actually something that Michael Swanwick, I believe, was trying to go for in part because um, he has uh, come clean and said that, you know, like he was like 10 years into his career. Uh, you know, he'd been publishing since 81 or whatever. Um, and he this is the first book where he did like a, a left turn into sort of like incorporating what uh, most people would consider sort of fabulous um or if you want to make people mad, um, magical realist type of uh, sort of stylings in his in his writing. Um, mainly, the, you'd make people mad because uh, there are people who want to set a very very clear dividing line that magical realism is uh, either very very related to Latin America's origins, which is not true. That's not kind of controversial. But uh, there are people that, uh, on top of that, want to say that it can only be, you know, from Latin America. Uh, you know, if it's not from the Latin American region of the world, anything else is just sparkling realism. That's it. Um, I, I, I uh, on in that particular argument, Pete, I, I, I tend to be not prescriptive uh, in part. I, I do have to acknowledge that yes, magical realism is from Latin America originally. Mm -hmm. Like I said, not controversial, but I will say this: um, part of what makes magical realism work is a very strong uh, 
sort of like subtext of anti-colonial feeling and, and sentiment. And it's difficult to write that if you are part of a dominant group within an existing empire. Yeah, if, if you're part of the problem, it's hard to bitch. Yeah. <laughs> However, I will say that this sort of sidesteps it because I would, under my own definition, say that Southern Gothic sort of qualifies as sort of a, a fabulous tradition within the U.S. Yeah. And if we wanted to consider that the themes in the book um, sort of mirror this, if you wanted to consider that the South is uh, for a long time been viewed, has viewed itself as being colonized by other parts of the U.S., that's not tr that's not entirely untrue if you it, it depends on who you talk to and some of those people are full of shit because they have other motives but i don't disagree yeah yeah it's it's like um it, it it's like when when white people bring up that the irish were slaves i mean it just it feels like there is a a moral sleight of hand going on right right i mean i i've joked that oh the original poc the irish yeah <laughs> um one other thing, I yeah, did ahead. a little bit of digging around on this book, which quite honestly was stupid. Like I should have used every every ounce of effort to actually read the book instead of reading about the book. My bad. I, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, oh, one of the things I noticed is that when people analyze the book, they have a tendency to avoid the phrase magical realism. And they say things like hard surrealist sci-fi. I so so it does switch modalities um, several times in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think um, because we 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 dealt with Swanwick's work in adapted in this case in um, Love, Death, and Rog Robots season three. Uh, the what is it? The uh, the Eternal Hum of the Machine or whatever, or in the Hum of the Machine. I forget which the 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 exact title. Um, I do get the feeling that Swanwick um, does something that uh, we don't see very often anymore uh, in in more mainstream stuff, which is he loves to fuck around with the reader's perceptions of what's going on by having the characters also be sort of uh, in a drugged state or in a way in a you know, taking some sort of mind altering substance that, you know, they, they need to do because of X or Y thing. Um, so, so I do think that the, like he, he's, he's like one of those new, new wavy type guys who um, just really loved in, including sort of like druggy counterculture type stuff. Yep. And by the way, like. it's, it's the very pulse of the machine. The very pulse of the machine. There we go. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Yep. That one of my many roles is to Google while you talk. There you go. So, um, so let me, we've been talking a little bit about the style. Uh, you know what, Pete, let me go ahead and just read the opening here because I, I do think it's, it's, it's sort you of really, you haven't ahead. even read the opening. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm going to read it aloud for the first okay, time. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, so it starts with the bureaucrat fell from the sky for an instant. Miranda lay blue and white beneath him, the ice caps fat and ready to melt. And then he was down. 
He took a high speed across the stony plains of the Piedmont to the heliostat terminus at Port Richmond and caught the first flight out. The airship Leviathan lofted him ag- across the fall line and over the forests and coral hills of the Tidewater. Yes, it's true, Chewie. It really, it's <laughs> happening. I was like, please don't hear that. <laughs> Specialized ecologies were astir there, preparing for the transforming magic of the Jubilee Tides. In ramshackle villages and hidden plantations, people made their varied varied provisions for the evacuation. All right, so that's first paragraph. Lots of info there. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh it, it it hit the ground running, which I frankly was not expecting. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it it's it really um I have to say, I mean, this was in 91, which isn't exactly, you know, uh, you know, the, the ancient past or anything like that. But it, it does feel like there there's so many novels now uh, that would take time to sort of, I don't know, do something else. So, sort of, oh, you need to establish who the bureaucrat is. And it's like, no, we'll we'll find out. It's fine. Right. Right. It's it's funny. Like this. This book feels very new wave to me. Like I can picture it on the shelf next to uh, Zelazny or Varley or any of those guys because it's it's like the playfulness is as important as the science. Mm-hmm. But but there's also a dark reason why mm. I, I I I could place it there, which is uh, periodically like uh, shit comes out of somebody's mouth that shouldn't. In my opinion, like in in my in my old guy prudish reaction to things there, there there's there's, you know, wildly sexist stuff that pops up wildly ageist. And like, I'm not really objecting because mm-hmm. like the story works and stuff. But I just think it is remarkable that I can like a book so much and have so many things in it I don't like. Hmm. Well, I mean, so so let's talk a little bit about that, because I I do believe that there is there is going to be a frisson of uh, of that nature, uh, because basically what you're talking about is depiction of, you know, um, yes, thank uh, you, Leia, that radical guest appearance by Princess Leia there. Um, (laughs) I can I briefly explain what's going on Um, Go for it. I have I have a new upstairs neighbor and they are very used to the total silence of the house. So if a mouse farts, they go insane. Yes, Chewy, that was helpful. Thank you. Wow. So you got lots of mice farting, huh? Yes, yes. <laughs> so um so so Pete, it's funny because it's it it is weird. I I I think I know where you're going with this, and I, I mean I'm happy to let you do it and I agree with it, but let's see. All right. So, I mean, uh, so you're you're sort of having some some issues with depiction. Yeah. Uh, which which, you know, fair enough. I mean, that that's something to be very cautious of. Uh, granted, depends on what's being depicted and whatnot. But at the same time, I, I would probably argue um, and, and maybe this is because I don't think. I don't believe Michael Swanwick believes any of these things. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's where I thought you were going with it. And mm-hmm. I, and I, I, I think, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, it is, it is, um, it is, uh, acceptable, 
even necessary to put things in that are unpleasant when you're talking about something unpleasant. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also think uh, that it that fits with the bureaucrat's um, background, right? Mm -hmm. The bureaucrat comes from a, uh, we assume, interstellar society who, I mean, has a vast possibly interminable <laughs> bureaucracy um, and has been sent planet side. And this is a planet that they had placed under technological embargo. So they're being prevented by the dominant uh, interstellar society to, you know, to get above a certain technological level, mm -hmm. which right? is one of the more common sci-fi tropes. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so and and that's you know we can get into uh, you know how that uh, factors into the the plot and how things get started right uh, in a second. But but I always read any judgment coming from someone like the bureaucrat mm -hmm. as simply the the mental workings of someone who comes from the dominant. Uh, empire or the dominant society uh, and how they, you know, without really meaning to sometimes even, you know, well-meaning <laughs> sometimes uh, will think themselves superior and, and hold uh, people that are under their power in contempt to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, yeah, I, I do think that there is a lot of this. And so, uh, the bureaucrat is, I think, on purpose, like intentionally designed to be, he's, he's, he's just called the bureaucrat. We never know his name. Uh, and he comes bearing a, basically a, a briefcase that has an AI in it, you know, a self-contained AI unit. And, and a seed. It's a, uh, uh, like a nanotech uh, fabricator. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yes, absolutely. Um, which in and of itself is, you know, if he were to lose uh, track of it, would, you know, put it, put him in, in deep trouble because it, it violates the embargo. But by his own authority, he, he can bring it because it's part of his, you know, his, his equipment. Um, so, so what I'm getting at is that he is basically a high tech carpetbagger. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like the the stereotypical idea of a carpetbagger, right? He's coming over to sort of oversee certain things. He's actually uh there to pursue uh an embarrassment. Um uh a a former uh bureaucracy employee called Gregorian has uh taken and made off with uh prescribed technology and has escaped to uh miranda um and uh we, we maybe i can tickle your your theater uh brain in a bit pete uh with the miranda prospero system type stuff but but so gregorian um stole this technology and he's uh basically making himself to be a magician or a sorcerer uh, amongst the the populace in on the planet, um, and on top of that, uh, as they mentioned in that first paragraph, uh, 
there is something called the Jubilee Tides, which is every 200 years, the ice caps melt, the seas rise, and a lot of the landmass on Miranda ends up underwater. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you, you are told, uh, you know, without knowing enough that there is uh, a, a belief that certain uh, species of life have like an almost miraculous, magical uh, ability to transform from a you know land creature to a sea creature and that's one of the first things that we <laughs> that we find in the first th- this is not much of a spoiler it's it although i do love that it's a great hook um uh you know like the bureaucrat arrives at his uh station is ready to be briefed his uh commander uh like the guy that uh, is supposed to be his partner shows up uh, announces himself as you know lieutenant chu and is you know shows the shows him uh, a magic trick uh where he takes a a, a like a, a a sparrow and plunges it into a fishbowl and in the fishbowl there's like a new fish that is all colorful and has long fins and looks like wings you know blah blah and he's like oh okay and so he leaves with some information that the bureaucrat uh, gave him. And when he turns around, a new person comes in. He's like, hello. Oh, I'm Lieutenant Chu. I'm going to be your partner. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> so right off the bat, you realize that Gregorian is actively just send either going himself or sending people to fuck with the with the entire process. Yeah. And I mean, uh, one of the fascinating things about the relationship between G- Gregorian and the bureaucrat is that on a on a planet of millions of people, every single person that uh, that the bureaucrat has an interaction with has a uh, Gregorian story. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and he, it, yeah, he had a bunch of uh, TV ads too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess he's like the Better Call Saul, <laughs> Better oh, Call I, Gregorian. <laughs> I was thinking the My Pillow guy, but yeah, Better Call Saul is better. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, he's he's out there like basically selling snake oil. He's been selling snake oil for a while. Have you wanted to be a fish? <laughs> have you ever studied your your background and found that you may have had haunt ancestors? So uh, that's one of the things that that doesn't really Im- doesn't come, become clear until later on in the book that there seems to have been a an indigenous species that lived on Miranda before the humans came, and there's a lot of debate. No one's seen them, but everyone calls them haunts, and they're supposed to be shapeshifters, and they live in the water, and no one's seen them in a long time. Yeah, yeah, there are characters that are certain they died out like 140 something years ago, but I mean there's enough people that are saying otherwise. Well, yeah, I mean and and the thing here is that it, you know, given the waves of colonization, you know, you, you could you could see it as both things, right? There mm-hmm. might be a small enclave somewhere but it could just be guilty like guilty colonial conscience you know that that creates like this uh, folktale type of version of the same thing he's like oh they're still among us you know that type of thing yeah uh, 
but yeah so um so anyway pete tell me a little bit about uh because i'll say this um one of the reasons uh i i picked up this book was precisely uh for the reasons you'd you'd pointed out at the beginning right <laughs> that uh michael swanwick was very much a uh sort of like a I don't want to say a disciple, but it, because it sounds like you know he was sitting at the at the foot of Gene Wolfe or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but I think he um, read Gene Wolfe's stuff and realized, oh, I could be writing stuff like this, and decided to just completely do that. And ever since then, it seems like he's he's concentrated on a lot of stuff that is you know very much in this vein, right? It's um. It, taking taking science fiction and making making it feel magical uh either through sort of science fan- fantasy type tactics or simply dis- descriptions of uh what things do without you know like the accompanying scientific jargon with it you know that type of thing uh, results rather than processes are described if that makes sense mhm um, and so that was one of the reasons I wanted to pick this up. And I have to say, um, two big points in its favor. One written in the style that I mentioned before and that everyone listened to Two, um, stand alone. <laughs> yes. Oh, if this were written today, it would be a six book series. Oh, we, we wouldn't, uh, you know, like they would have made the, uh, the confrontation with, uh, Gregorian or his minion, like, like almost a, a quarter into the book. <laughs> right. You <laughs> know, if they were trying to do it nowadays, uh, you know, and, and, and if, you know, Michael Swanwick were, were amenable to being sort of, uh, pushed in that direction. I don't yeah, know. I mean, I don't know the man well, but I, I can visualize him saying "fuck you" based upon mm-hmm. what I'm reading, you know. <laughs> yeah, or just simply going like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do that." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's uh, he's he's been at it for long enough that I think he can pretty much just do what he wants. Yep, exactly. So do, you said you wanted me to be a Shakespeare head on this one. Let's talk a little bit about that because uh, I do feel like there's a, a there's some some wider uh, context that I might be missing because I, I don't know that I've read The Tempest. Okay, well, um, uh, uh, what to say? Miranda, uh, which is the name of the planet for for those listening at home, was the daughter of Prospero, who is sort of the 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 wizard in the book. Or in the in the in the play, and um, she was exiled with him to this island when she was like a toddler, and she is sort of the uh, the embodiment of of compassion and naive goodness. And um, in the in the play, uh, she falls in love with and lightning marries Prince Ferdinand. Um, sort of, sort of the main character in it, and all of this stuff. I mean, this play from our our good buddy uh, Will S was uh, one of the things you do to achieve patronage, because uh, King King James the Somethings' daughter 
was getting married to Prince Frederick. And he made this play about how awesome Prince Frederick was, basically. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. I, it's a, I mean, it's a really good play. And um, what is it? Forbidden Planet is based on it? I think Forbidden Planet, yeah. Um, I'm sure that there's other... Uh, there's definitely other... Uh, sort of sci-fi and fantasy stuff out there that's probably taken some um some cues from the tempest yeah uh, well it's one of the most supernatural of of uh shakespeare's uh, plays yeah 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 it's got caliban in it it's got you know all of that stuff i i mean i it wouldn't be the first thing i read from him but it would probably be the fourth or fifth mm-hmm so so in this it's weird because right the the magician would be gregorian supposedly right i mean in in the uh straight up straightforward interpretation gregorian would be the magician in this uh miranda's the planet uh and i would probably say that uh yeah i don't know is caliban just simply the bureaucrats <laughs> the bureaucrat or the bureaucrats uh <laughs> uh briefcase yeah, yeah, because I mean, like Cal- Caliban's essentially a, uh, a slave in addition to being powerful. So the the briefcase is a good argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the briefcases uh, are sort of like machines, but they they uh, they are all sort of like um, yeah, they're 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 placed under the control of humans. Yep, um, and they are uh, sentient. Yes. Um. Also, isn't I mean I'd understood that uh, in certain interpretations, Caliban is a sort of like a created uh, creature, or he's like a monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's uh he's called a, a moon calf. Moon calf, which sort of means like a a, a freckled weirdo. Um, and so. Um, yeah, like, oh, there, there's the Irish again. Jeez. Will, come on, man. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the problems with trying to interpretate, interpretate, interpret the thoughts of somebody from 500 years ago. Um, people, uh, people think he's a, a homunculus or some sort of created thing, but he could also be really ugly. Mm hmm. Or both. Yep. <laughs> um, qué no los dos? Um, but yeah, uh, so, so it, it, it's, now I don't know that those are um, a, like 100% uh, firm descriptions because as the novel progresses, I get the feeling that the roles start to either switch or bleed together um and and there's different things that are happening that make me think that the bureaucrat isn't who he says he is um so so i think it's about a tenth of the way in we get the information that the bureaucrat was originally sent i mean he we we do know that he's been sent to go after gregorian but then we get sort of like the meeting that sets it up right uh and i forget his boss's name is uh is it Sita, kata shit i forgot his name man 
Um, fuck. I, I mean, you know, actually, this is my role again. Let me look it up. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah. That's, uh, so one of the things I wanted to call out here is that there is another, um, there's another book or even a movie that is, seems to be a good comparison for Stations of the, the Tide. And that would be Heart of Darkness or Apocalypse Now. Mm, yes, true, true. Um, yeah, because he is trying to bring it's it's sort of like bringing a an errant imperial subject back to into the heart of the empire, you know, right? Or or neutralize him so that the empire is not you know in danger or you know embarrassed or what have you. You know, I'm not going to dig this dude's name up in a reasonable amount of time. So anyway, it, it's it's fine. Uh, his, his boss uh, in in the in the Puzzle Palace, which I I do have to love the naming uh, of all the stuff here. Uh, the Puzzle Palace, which is I believe it's actually called, is one of the uh, nicknames for the CIA. Yes, <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> we have an inter interstellar CIA here. Um. So, so his boss basically uh, tells him that uh, that you know it breaks down the fact that Gregorian has stolen some prescribed technology that uh, I believe can it's basically cloning technology um, that can uh, it can extract genetic material and clone as well. And so, uh, and he's escaped to Miranda and, you know, the bureaucrats there too. He sent the bureaucrat to go bring him back, uh, with the technology or to justice, whichever may be. If, if the technology gets lost under the, the, uh, ocean, then so be it. No biggie. Yeah. It's kind of a comeback with your shield or on it kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, um, and that's where you know you start to wonder exactly what is going on you know what the relationship is how did gregorian get into this inner circle right uh and win everyone's uh sort of trust so that he could actually pull off this crime uh if if it is a crime you know for for all intents and purposes one of the interpretations uh i have of uh, what they fear Gregorian is going to be able going to do is to find living haunts and basically repopulate Miranda with them. Hmm. Sort of undoing the empire's, uh, you know, sort of like work because that's, then, yeah, go ahead. I like that. That's, that's a good interpretation. One I certainly didn't think of. I mean, you think of it this way. What's the worst thing that could happen to an, a, an occupied territory? You lose occupation or, or it becomes uh, contested again. Yeah. So, you know. Well, as, as, a, as, as a comfortable member of the, uh, the, the Empire of Note around here, I wouldn't know. <laughs> What? what? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Pete, if someone made off with some financial, uh, some financial product. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> you'd know exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it's, it's called the feds. Uh, 
uh i don't know if that would be the right action but anyway yeah uh in in general uh it depends on where they'd go right <laughs> which country and if it's an official enemy or it's on the fincen list well yeah too bad buddy it's a hard old um, world yeah but um but yeah that, that was one of my interpretations i don't i don't think uh I don't believe that given what we've seen of Gregorian. Uh, he's simply just in it for profit and or just to thumb his nose at the, you know, the, the power structure more than anything else. Um, so uh, Pete, let me, let me ask you this because I, I think that I, 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 I may have just, run over you and kept on ambling along without sort of uh, talking a little bit about you know, well, how, how was your experience sort of like, uh, you know, reading this uh, as, as much as you have. Yes. Okay. So for, for one thing, it, it's a good, it's a good time to uh, let the tension down by, by with a confession, which is when I, when I started this book this morning, I thought it was a novella and it is not. It is 250 pages of excellent, excellent reading. So um, I'm just over halfway, and I'm going to finish after. My bad. But <laughs> I am um, – I think that while – I mean, it, it's always weird when you're talking about colonialism and, and you're not particularly colonized, but there – it's it's relatable anyway mm-hmm. because i mean whom among us does not work for a bureaucracy that is constantly trying to cut our throats and we're trying to figure out why the fuck we're doing what we're doing anyway you know yep. like there, there's a there's a lot of things that are happening here above and beyond the the, the this particular planet is getting a raw deal which does draw me in and um as as somebody who who uh uh is is uh oiling the machine of capitalism and uh you know using that to do things like you know pay my mortgage uh i uh it it's it it connects with me on that level too like there's a the 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 constant uh conflicts that uh that uh, the bureaucrat has anytime he talks with somebody he's like well i'm looking for this information and they're like you're a dickhead are you aware you know like every time they just plane him right there and a they're right to and b while i don't have those conversations a lot i play them in my head all the damn time Mm -hmm. so (laughs) like coming at it from the other side i find this tremendously um, interesting and relatable too. And I do, um, I don't think it's going to change my worldview particularly, but it's, it's, it sure as hell is drawing me in. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because there's a lot of, like you said, there is a lot of, um, sort of subsumed or sublimated hostility toward, uh, the, the institution that the bureaucrat represents and but generally speaking the bureaucrat is treated with a measure of respect 
he's sort of brought into the confidences of a couple of people. Um, I, but he's also like really full of himself because of course he's, he's coming from like a level of technology that's high above, uh, you know, what the, the people on Miranda have. And so like, for instance, when he, um, he meets one of the, uh, the, (laughs) the, I forget it, like the fortune tellers or whatever, Who's like this uh, older, you know, very, very corpulent woman, very, uh, you know, she's very fat and, uh, you know, she's got like a couple of um, daughters who are sort of like her, her assistants slash servants because it's, it's become clear that at some point in time in the past, they had been doing much better than they are now. Uh, and it's slowly like the her her plantation mansion or whatever is slowly sort of gone to seed. Um, and there is this one point where um, he he gets called into her uh, into her rooms, uh, you know, privately, uh, where she confides, "Oh, I know all about you know what what you were talking about and this that and the other." And like he he'd had an entire conversation with one of the daughters about you know she's she's got anxieties about the inheritance or what have you <clears throat> and uh when he he's talking to the to the older woman the fortune teller she's like oh yeah i know all everything that you just said you don't think i know your thoughts and then she sort of like holds the pose for a minute and then says no it's just you you obviously don't think that I need some, you know, highfalutin technology to, you know, bug your room. But I just listened through the ventilation shafts and I heard the entire conversation. You think I didn't, I can't hear that, you know, and it's, it's really sort of funny because it's, it's sort of like old fashioned magician's tricks versus, you know, high tech, you know, uh, or reliance on the high tech gadgetry to do the same thing. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I, and it, oh, I was, I was just going to say it is, it is sort of funny how the, the more, um, I don't know, evil someone is in this book, the more they seem to respect him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, he he does have proximity to power. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, that's true. Like the most successful scam of all time. And he's a part of it. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, I, I feel like all sides are presented in a very plausible uh, manner in this, in a way that, um, you know, I, I never felt like, you know, I was being preached at or anything like that, which thank God. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I, I'm not particularly sure he'd be in a good position to do so. Well, or anyone else either, because like the 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 entire planet, given the fact that everyone's sort of slowly like, you know, they've been under embargo, you know, and, and that's like one of the things that is sort of slowly becoming apparent is that as they've been, a lot of the people have been sort of pulling up like their stakes and, you know, uh, dismantling their mansions to move them further inland or, or what have you. Uh, a lot of the people just don't have much anymore you know like it it feels like i i've been struggling with a way to describe this because it it i it reminded me of that slow but sure 
you know, like you, you feel something slide. Like when you were a kid, you, you knew that things were okay. But then as you grew older, you notice that your family suddenly, oh, you, d- you don't go on trips anymore. Or you yeah. don't go as often as you did. <coughs> Chinua and, Chebe. Things fall apart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of just basically small things that slowly throttle away, like, what you used to have. And a lot of the, the, the planet side people feel that way. They did sort of feel very much like they've been under that grind for, you know, uh, something like 50 plus years, if not more. And so everyone's resorted to all sorts of weird scamminess and, you know, just in general, everyone looks out for themselves. This is the type of society that that type of embargo and uh, limitation of economic opportunity presents. Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. And so everyone seems like they're on the make. Everyone has like a different angle. And so it, it is it is rather entertaining to watch the uh, the bureaucrat sort of navigate that and try to figure out, you know, where he should be. Right. Mm-hmm. And whether, you know, it, the, the people who ha- simply have Gregorian stories know him and that's why they have the Gregorian stories or got scammed by him. And that's why they have the Gregorian stories. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I mean, it, it's <clears throat> or, or we're, yeah, we're specifically uh, agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that that's too. Like, yeah, the level, the level of paranoia, this, this book can, can help you get considering it's a leisure read is actually quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also, uh, I would say that, um, much like a wolf book, uh, I think rereads reward are, are rewarded because it's you know it, it does have several layers to it, and you know like we we talked already about you know like the the colonization, we talked about uh, carpet bagging and sort of the the practice of a dominant society, you know sort of like coming into forcibly um, encourage certain types of assimilation uh and as well as the 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 shakespearean uh naming conventions and whether that has any symbolism to it you know that type of thing i don't know there's a a lot a lot of going on so you might not yeah you might not all catch it the first time so yeah i mean this does feel like a book that's going to be worth rereading i i think that's that's something i do want to call out to the audience right now is not every book do you want to read more than once, but I would say this one, yeah. For next, just read once. If if that gore, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. But I think it would be very funny if if we did a if we did a, a gore episode. I mean, we we have not done a uh, crap books episode in quite some time. Oh, so. we are so due, dude. <laughs> so maybe that's something we should be thinking about. I don't know. Yep. Uh, I I don't want to pay more than like a dollar for a gore book, though. So I oh, guess I'll, yeah, I'll be buying it used or something. Yeah, that that's definitely where you go to the old bookstore in your town with the, all the flies in the windows. You know. 
Sounds sounds like you've been to a quite a few used bookstores. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know why that is the thing that they all have in common, but it is. <laughs> yep, it's true. It's true. Um, so yeah, uh, Pete, you said that you are planning on finishing this up uh, later on tonight or tomorrow. But you can uh, spoil. It's okay, buddy. <laughs> Pete, don't listen. No, no. Um, I mean, it, it is, uh, you know, I don't want to really spoil it because there is uh, a sequence where towards the back half of the book, um, it, it does sort of turn certain things inside out. Well, I will say one of the things happening already, and I'm just over halfway through, is there's a lot of sort of bureaucratic what is really happening conversations right now that feel very much like philip k dick mm. did uh, so I, I i am a little iffy uh by that point in the book had he already gone back and sort of like uh sliced up his consciousness no into no different that has slivers? not happened yet Th- there's a point where he does that and uh it, it's it it's very much what you're talking about, like even more so than than what you're talking about right now. Oh my god! Where like he he subdivides his consciousness into several, like you know, more than five different uh, slivers, and slowly starts reincorporating them and receiving the information they've gleaned, and it's sort of like really masterfully done. It's very strange, uh, and very well done. I feel. That's I, I, I'm I'm excited. Oh, and there's another. Uh, he 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 basically does like a VR trip, and when I say trip, I really mean trip. <laughs> <laughs> Where uh, he's he's talking to, I guess, the main AI that runs everything. Uh, and she's called Gaia, and it's it's very. Oh my god, it's it feels very much like uh like one of these shamanic uh spirit journeys or something. He's like talking to Gaia and Gaia gives him messages and you're like what is going on? What is I, I mean, it this is one of the beauties of I feel you know speculative fiction in general is that you can do something that is entirely ham-handed um and and have it be subtext and text at the same time because yeah. you can do that the subtext is for cowards well not only that i i mean i'm i'm thinking along the lines of um so so an interesting analogy uh, i'm going to sidestep real quickly uh huh? elden ring has uh a lots of lore right and so there's a a variety of different secrets from the past that are literally buried uh, in underground cities where you delve into the past of what happened. That, you know, why the, the, the world is like it is now, you get clues to that. And again, this is beautiful use of a speculative element 
uh, to do exactly what it should, right? Oh, you want to unearth the past? Well, what if I told you you had to do it literally? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when, when someone is bold enough to pull that shit off, I love it. I really do. I've really come to appreciate that type of thing. You, know, you you make a you make a big swing and if you connect great even if you didn't connect and you whiff a little bit i'm going to give you points for trying it's much better to go for the fences uh, particularly when like this this book is trying really hard to do its own thing like we you know we we've been talking about well there's some philip k dick here and and there's some gene wolf here and yada 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 but at the end of the day it is it's it, it's fairly unique and like that, that takes a kind of courage you, you want somebody to follow through on. Mm. I mean, he's uh, he, uh, when I, when I was mentioning earlier that uh, he sort of like turned towards this type of writing um, from there on out. Um, one of his uh, better known books is the iron dragon's daughter, where it's a uh, sort of like a flipped um, fantasy world. Mm hmm. Where the um, where the elves all wear Armani suits and have uh, dragons that are basically jet fighters, and the humans all live in Fantasyland, which is a an idyllic pastoral you know paradise, and uh, so you know you can you can imagine the funkiness that can happen there, where one of the dragons crashes into the f nearby forest and the humans go out to see what happened and it's not immediately like i remember reading the first couple of chapters of this and being i i just wasn't ready for it i think uh mm -hmm. and just being sort of like head just scratching my head because like wait dragons don't have panels dragons don't have cockpits what is this <laughs> yeah it, well I, I mean i know it's not but what it makes me think of is shadow run mm, yeah well yeah yeah absolutely but um but yeah so if, if you like this type of thing you know michael swanwick has lots out there he also has um pete and i don't know if this is something that we might think about for for die november if we're going to do that uh, he has a, a book called Bones of the Earth, which um, seems to be an interesting, uh, it's time travel plus dinosaurs. So, you know, mm. uh, I, 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 like from what I've seen so far, I've got no objections to revisiting him again. Yeah, let's. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We, <laughs> we'll see if we'll take the um, the the short story the novels based off like expanded from or the novel itself. We'll okay. see. <laughs> and and let's be very express about which one it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, they they do have two different titles. Uh, one is I believe is Sherzo for the Tyrannosaurus or something like that, and the other one's the the book is called uh, The Bones of the Earth. So. Which really, oh, it's making me think of giants in the earth. That's what it is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so any last thoughts, Pete? Um, I, I, I think you people out there in listening to lands might want to give this one a try. 
in terms of like we read a lot of things and we recommend a lot of things but this one's pretty unusual and and it it's worth a glance even if you go to google type in the name and do the free read of 10 pages mm-hmm. agreed agreed i mean if if you want to try before you buy uh totally understandable um yeah, I would, I would, uh, and this is one of those few moments where I, I really, really want to, um, end without, uh, discussing the end of the book or anything like that, because there are, like I said, um, certain things there that I do feel like, uh, really change the, con- the, the context of many things that happened previously. And I, you know, it, it, it's sort of like me giving you the, the, the ending of the sixth sense, you know, <laughs> you won't be able to watch the sixth sense for the first time without knowing, you know, without knowing the, the twist. So, uh, I, I'm not usually a huge, you know, like, oh, don't spoil stuff. I don't usually don't care. This is one of these very few instances where I'm going to abide by no spoilers this time. Yeah, it's it, normally it's not the sort of podcast where that makes sense, but I, I mm-hmm. am hearing you uh, this time around. Yeah, but um, in any case... Yeah, go go out there. It's an enjoy like at the very least enjoy reading it because it is very very pleasurable to read. You know, as as you know, you might have been able to guess, it's very clean prose, just very nice. All right, so uh, I think that's about it, right, Pete? Yeah, no, I think we're there, and I I think that's perfectly okay. Like we didn't we didn't have a lot of points of conflict here, so. Yeah, it's it. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, it's it's also like one of these things where uh, we, we didn't have we didn't have like uh, Kurt and Chris in to be like offer their interpretations, which you know, valid as they may be, would have probably you know added something a bit more. Uh, well. Perhaps more. <laughs> well, wow. Okay, they're not. They're off at the Argento uh, marathon or whatever, and this is how you're going to treat them. Pe- no, no, <laughs> no, no. Uh, we love our other co-hosts. We really do. Yep. It's just, you know, sometimes you know they have differing, differing interpretations. It's perfectly fine and valid. Um. But in any case, uh, joking aside, I, I do want to thanks, thank you, Pete, for, for joining me and for uh, deciding to read this, uh, you know, and, and following through. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, that, well, I'm not done yet, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in that case, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening in, and we'll catch you here next time on Podside.